Hey everyone, this is Decoded. My name is Sydney Lai, and if you are new here, welcome. If you are a returning fan, welcome home. I am super excited about this season. We have just explored so many types of developer platforms, and a huge shout out that I wanted to give out today is OutSystems. With OutSystems, you as a developer can build with AI-assisted development. So as an example, if you're visually looking at the logic flow, there is going to be a way where the AI-assisted development will recommend or ask your next possible air quote line of code or your intent. It would assist you on your development journey as you're building whatever web application you are looking to build. And I think another transformative project that I'm super, well, company, I should say, that I'm super excited to be talking to today is MongoDB, right? We're going to look at how Nick from MongoDB manages and secures databases. And I think that without a doubt, on a very big level, the way that MongoDB entered the development ecosystem and, and tooling uh, has really, really helped scale and transform the way you manage uh, web applications databases. Let's let's dive in. Nick, what is this shirt of yours? I'm actually quite curious. Is it Charizard shirt? Is it really? Yeah. Now that I see it, I I can see that. I don't get to see all of it. Well, oh, I see it. I see the Charizard shirt. That makes me super excited to welcome you to today's episode where we are going to talk about databases, especially with Nick Raboy on MongoDB. Raboy? Raboy? You got it right. Game Boy? It's Raboy. Game Boy? All right. No, Raboy. <laughs> no, not, sure, Game Boy. I've, I've never heard that one before. Yeah, I feel like that needs to be your handle. And in addition to being a developer advocate at MongoDB, it is like your love for Pokemon that has really like got us connected, you know? So Yeah, yeah. So I I am curious, like, do you build any games with MongoDB? Do you like do you still play Pokemon or like let's where is this like merge? I do. So Pokemon is big in my household. So every time they release a new Pokemon game, we purchase it and we love it. So I mean, the last one was the Nintendo Switch game and there's actually three Pokemon games coming out within the next 12 months. So we're going to be getting all of those too. Okay, then now I actually need to go ahead and research that. Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. Today, what I'd really like to do is dive into MongoDB. And we'll do our best not to turn this episode into a Pokemon episode, although that would be super fun. <laughs> but I bring Pokemon into MongoDB all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's actually pretty cool. Like, can you walk us through, like, do you integrate Pokemon and MongoDB or like, how does that work for you? Full disclaimer. So the Pokemon company has no affiliation with MongoDB. This is just me being a, a super fan and wanting to include Pokemon in any fashion that I can possibly do. But as far as that goes, like I'll come up with an idea that's like Pokemon themed and I will execute that idea because I'm a developer advocate at MongoDB. My my responsibility is to get people interested in in using MongoDB and helping them kind of ease that process through. So, for example, I, I recently did a Twitch stream with a colleague of mine and we created kind of this knockoff Pokemon battle sequence with MongoDB where you could choose Pokemon and then battle each other and it, it would show real-time changes between people across the internet and it was really cool. Oh man, I would love to watch that. 
Because I think when it comes to game development and managing databases, it has to be, I don't do game development, but I'd have to imagine it's quite different than your traditional web application and databases, or are they quite similar? It depends. So, I mean, most people use a game development framework nowadays, and there are game development frameworks that use common web technologies. So, for example, Phaser is a game development framework for building web and uh, progressive web application games, and that uses JavaScript and HTML. But if you're looking at, say, like Unity, Unity uses C Sharp, which depending on how you think about it could, I mean, people do build web applications with C Sharp. So it really depends. But the process is, I mean, if you know how to build a web application, just add a little bit of uh, a creative side to it and you can start building games. Yeah, I like that. And I would imagine MongoDB originally when it rolled out, it wasn't for game developers, right? And and I would imagine, yeah, there's no way. So, I mean, let's backtrack a little bit. Like what what was the origin story behind MongoDB or why why was it created or why was it needed? Yeah, so uh, just to be clear, this was like way before my time at the company when it comes to the origin stuff, but I am familiar with the story. So the story behind it is that there were three co-founders who uh, were working for their company, DoubleClick. It was an ad-serving company, which I think is now owned by Google, but I'm not sure about Probably. that. Probably It could be, a Google owns everything. So- Besides the fact of that, uh, they were having trouble with their existing database model. So it only accomplished so much. They found themselves having to write their own custom database implementations, which was exhausting. It wasn't giving them the agility that they needed. It was inconvenient. So they decided to build their own. They wanted to be able to use their own custom data because they're serving ads. Ads is kind of non-rigid in in the type of data that you're using. You're not like just storing addresses for people. You're storing pretty much anything and that evolves quite fast. So that's kind of where it spawned out of, the, the need to be flexible. And then how did that, the entrance of MongoDB really change the landscape of how you manage NoSQL databases? Yeah, so MongoDB was one of the first NoSQL databases. It's a document database. And me personally, I came from using relational databases. So Oracle and SQL Server and things like that. And I felt the pain that the co-founders felt. I mean, those databases, they do certain things very well. But then for a lot of things, you kind of wish that it was something else. So it changed things by making the lives of the developer a lot easier, in my opinion. Because when you're building an application, very rarely, at least now with modern applications, very rarely are you looking at your data or working with your data in kind of a, a spreadsheet or, or tabular form. If you're working with a JavaScript application, chances are you're working with, with objects, right? Objects, arrays. You're not working with cells. You're not working with comma delimited values. That's kind of where the value comes in. You're, you're able to work with your data kind of how it exists in the database. Yeah. So then how do you see that kind of differing into also both the gaming world and even traditional web app. I know you kind of mentioned that there are games now, again, not those that are built in C-sharp, but there are games now who are using web development frameworks. So that translates quite well. I very rarely, and this is just on a personal level, I very rarely come across developer tools that can actually be used for like game development and web application development. I mean, those, those engineers alone are actually very, very different and they run in different circles as well. Well, it's not just that. Now you can use JavaScript to build mobile applications too, right? Yeah, that's I a mean, good point. The boundaries of these development technologies are shrinking or growing. I don't, growing or shrinking, one of those. Expanding? <laughs> sure, right. there you go. Words, yeah. And 
when it comes to like, let's, so then let's dive into that, that game that you built with MongoDB. Because again, like, like I said, I, I very rarely come across developer tools where we're actually building games with. Yeah. So everything that I do is kind of hacky. It's more of, uh, I like doing it as a hobby. I've got young kids who like playing my little, little bad games. So that's kind of the inspiration. The game that we did on the Twitch stream, I mean, it's more of a, a demo than anything because it's JavaScript based. It's basically a turn-based battle where you can connect with a friend online and, and just battle each other real quick. There, It wasn't fancy at all. But I've done other stuff with Unity, for example, which is a very popular game development framework. One of the most popular, I think. So these games, for example, I've done stuff uh, as far as an infinite runner goes. Are you familiar with infinite runner type games? Mm, kind of like side scrollers? Maybe. So they're more in lines with the kind of genre of Temple Run and Subway Surfer, where you just kind of run forever, collecting coins, dodging obstacles. It, it speeds up a little bit throughout. I mean, in that example, and this is a common example for a lot of games that exist on the mobile app stores, is they needed a way to keep a leaderboard, right? You play the game, you get a score, and it synchronizes with the online leaderboard. So that's kind of one of, it's a small use case. I mean, it, sometimes you think that that's very small because it's just a score that you're collecting and, and sending up to the server. But it's a use case that's very valuable nonetheless. And with that example, are they using like traditional relational databases or how would you kind of like express the hierarchy of that? Yeah, so if you're looking at Unity in particular, so Unity, so MongoDB has a Unity SDK that's currently alpha and it's going to be stable very soon. Uh, and that SDK is for Realm. So take a step back here. MongoDB is more than just the MongoDB database. MongoDB is a, an entire data platform. So we have MongoDB as the kind of core database. We have Realm for the mobile side of things and the gaming side of things, or the I guess you can say the front end side of things. Then you have other services as well, like Realm serverless functions and Realm hosting, things like that. So there's a whole lot you can do. Now, back to Unity, Unity uses Realm and Realm is slightly different for directly interfacing with than, than say MongoDB is with, with say Node.js. So Realm is, a, is an object database. So you basically use your objects in C-sharp the way that you normally would, and those directly map to the Realm storage layer, which in turn, you would eventually sync up. Have, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I'm, I'm like, my brain is already going like to another level. I used to build just like fun projects in Unity. It's been a very long time. So that was 2016. And now, like, as we were having this conversation, I never considered the interoperability between MongoDB and being able to build with, again, any kind of like gaming development tool. So what you just explained was not only did it make sense, but I was like, oh my gosh, I did not, I just wasn't, I wasn't aware of this because when I think of, when I think of just managing databases, I think of it in a very traditional sense. Maybe it's like, quote, like logistic companies or whatever may deal with scaling issues. But with games, I mean, just the amount of users that play games, right? Like I can't even imagine how, how you handle either sharding or just like the massive data growth. How does that work then? Well, yeah, there's multiple sides to the story, at least for gaming, because you have the the kind of data storage that you would use locally in the game. And then you have to worry about all of the infrastructure that exists outside the game. So there's there's these major game companies. I'll list off maybe two. So Square Enix and EA, for example, they, they have online games. And they often, this isn't just the only use case, but they often use it for a user profile store to keep information about the players, right? So what items do they have? 
billing information, anything anything that might be stored for the player. And yeah, they do need to scale. They need they release a new game. They need to be able to scale to accommodate the load. Maybe eventually that load dwindles and they need to downscale. It's a little different than a relational database where you're scaling up hardware, which can be a little pricey because in most circumstances, a NoSQL database is, is a horizontally scaled database. And that's true for MongoDB. You're adding nodes to a cluster and those nodes help share the load and you can shard your data across those nodes and also have replica sets to ensure that there's no kind of scenario where your data is inaccessible because your server's down. Gotcha. So you're sharding the data at the collection level as well. Yeah, I mean, so the data is sharded. You would have to set up a shard key to, to determine how your data is sharded. And then would you happen to know how that, I guess, data handling was even handled in, let's just say, again, the gaming world, for example, even prior to MongoDB then? Honestly, I, I don't know. I'm not invested enough in the gaming industry. This is all mostly hobby stuff for me. So then what are some use cases in terms of just web apps, like like moving away from the gaming Gosh, I, I don't know, anywhere from like dating apps to social media platforms to even just like marketplaces. I mean, you name it. Yeah, I mean, there's it's necessary for a lot of a lot of major businesses. So, I mean, we're working with a document model as the type of NoSQL database. So you're storing what appears at a, at a kind of visibility level as JSON. So objects with nested arrays and other objects and things like that. It's stored differently behind the scenes, though. But with the document... I mean, you can store snapshots of your data, for example. So maybe you're a retailer and you have products and your customer just made a purchase. So their receipt could exist inside of a single document. It could reference the customer, maybe a receipt number. It could reference the items and the price at that particular point in time because you know those prices might change other areas in the database. But on the, on the receipt, you don't want that to change. That could be one example. Yeah. And then how about the way you guys tackle maybe database as a service? Yeah. So, I mean, MongoDB started as an open source database that you would install on your own hardware. Oh, I forgot about but, that. Uh, has, it's true. Yeah, yeah. It's recently, as of a few years ago, evolved into what's now known as MongoDB Atlas. Um, so you can choose to use the database as a service offering. There's different tiers. There's an M0 tier, which is a free forever tier. So until you end up needing to exceed that, and if that's the case, your business is probably doing quite well. But there's different tiers. You can choose your own cloud. So in that sense, you have the option of choosing between Amazon, uh, Microsoft Azure, and Google Cloud. And really, you're just choosing that based on kind of matching the needs of your already existing applications. Just because you're choosing a cloud in MongoDB Atlas doesn't mean that you now have to manage MongoDB in that cloud. It's just where is your database going to sit behind the scenes? Right. That makes a lot of sense. Then walk me through also like how how do you guys tackle like indexing, right? Like walk me through that one as well. Yeah. I mean, so an index is, I mean, when you query for your data in any database, you're basically in most cases, by default, you have to look through all of the data that might exist in your collection or however it's stored. And when you're creating an index, you're you're defining, well, what specific data should be part of this index? So for example, maybe you're indexing based on, I don't know, the price of something. Then when you do your query, oh, it's going to look at based on that index and look at only those documents that were indexed and not the entire collection. So it's a lot smaller to look through. It's kind of a high level on how to do it. I, the same kind of rules apply for, because we, MongoDB has Atlas Search as well. And there's uh, search indexes as well as standard like CRUD-based indexes. 
but same concept applies. You're you're choosing what to index so that way you can quickly obtain it. Yeah, I mean, it seems like MongoDB has a very thorough approach just to the whole way the developers can actually manage the backend, right? And so what do you find that MongoDB does really well? And like, what is something that you guys are still scratching your head on? Like, hey, as an industry as a whole, this is a huge challenge. And this is something that we've been uh, looking to tackle as well. Yeah, I mean, what MongoDB does really well, in my opinion, is they have a really solid database. The SDKs for for interacting with the database, they're easy to use. And not only are they easy, they're consistent between the SDKs. So if if you're a, a multi-language shop, which a lot of companies are, so if, if you have to develop in C-sharp, maybe in JavaScript, if you are familiar with the APIs for JavaScript, you can very easily carry those over to C-sharp, just minus the little syntax differences, but you can get by. That's, and that's a great thing. Yeah. I think that you're absolutely right in the way that what you guys tackle so well. And I'm actually quite curious to see like MongoDB is also quite approachable for those who are even junior developers or those who are like traditionally or primarily front-end developers. Like how have you really been able to bridge that gap? Because now the way that I see, I see it is that devs it has to really take that t-shaped approach right so like like very much horizontal you know a little bit of everything and then especially in the case of front-end developers or even junior developers who typically start as front-end there's that t-shape of like going deep and typically bypassing uh, kind of the database management as well yeah so there's a few approaches to that actually so one front-end developers are used to apis at least i think a lot of them are and i mean as of a few years ago graphql became a thing so GraphQL, it's actually built into Realm. So you can actually set up GraphQL on your collection with a MongoDB, and you'll never have to worry about creating your own APIs as far as the backend goes, because you've already got a GraphQL API ready to consume in your front end. So just by clicking a few buttons, you're good to go without having to worry about a backend, without having to worry about too much database operational stuff. That's one approach. Were you always primarily a backend developer? Or like, what was your journey into development as well? Yeah, so I, I have a computer science degree. And after that, I kind of, so I got hired at the university that I went to afterwards. And I spent a lot of time just doing cold fusion. I don't even know if cold oh, fusion is, yeah. is still much of a thing. Oh, that's awesome. I don't know. I never felt like it was truly a development technology, more of a, a markup technology. But I had a passion outside of, of my day job to do mobile apps and games and things like that, just fiddle around with stuff. That kind of got me into the full stack, you can say, I, knowing how to do back end, knowing how to do a mobile application, front end, things like that. Yeah. And then have you always been working in line with kind of like database management or, or is this, is this kind of like I guess what drew you to tackling this challenge? And in and, and, and my head, I'm even wondering like, what do you think on a very philosophical level, like then what is like a big technological challenge when it comes to scaling so much data? I mean, we are producing so much as developers and even just as society as a whole, that was kind of a twofer. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, and without going into details about past employers too much. So, I mean, we used Oracle and SQL Server, it was primarily Oracle. And every time we had to scale, which was about once a year, we had to we had to throw more money at the servers, make them more powerful, there was downtime. You actually had to shut down your database to scale it up. And 
they usually did that in the middle of the night when students were offline and things like that. I still see teams doing that, actually, which is like it's 2021. So, yeah. Yeah, 2021. And then they have to worry about backups and make sure things don't go south during that process. With a database like MongoDB, let's assume you're not using Atlas. Let's say you're you're doing it on-premise with a bunch of MongoDB nodes. I mean, you just update update those nodes, throw some more nodes into the cluster, update them. I mean, you've got replica sets, your data's replicating. You could even take backups on top of that. You're going to be in good shape as far as always available. And then how do you guys like tackle security issues or just securing databases? And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you definitely want your database security. You, you see all over the social media about the big hack exploits on Facebook and similar, right? Millions of people's data exposed. I mean, there's there's ways that you can do to protect yourself. And a lot of this, you actually have to go in and do it yourself. It's not the default in a lot of circumstances. So you have to weigh this out. So with MongoDB, you're going to be setting up network access rules for one. So by default, if at least if you're using Atlas, it's things are a little different if you're using the on-premise version. By default with Atlas, everything's rejected. So no, nothing can access your database by default until you set up which particular IPs can access it. So that'll at least protect you from the random parts of the internet. On top of that, you would set up user-based access rules. So you would say, well, what user has access to what database or what collection? Do they have write access, read access, admin access? So that way you can lock it down further on top of that. And then there's SSL and TLS that you can do for over the wire encryption. And then the, as far as the data, I mean, you get you get encryption at rest, the data is encrypted at rest. But if you really need it, I mean, you could also use the client side field level encryption. So you could actually encrypt certain fields. So for example, if you're in the medical field or government or education, and you need to encrypt a social security number, you don't want those social security numbers just lying around in your, in your database unencrypted as plain text, even if it's at rest encrypted, because some DBA somewhere can see it or application. So if you use client side field level encryption, the data that exists in your document for everyone to see is like garbled nonsense. So it's protected in that sense too. So there's, it really depends on how much you want to add to your like protection level versus not. Yeah, I was going to say when it comes to hacks, maybe it's anywhere from, you know, Facebook or banks or I don't know, like, you mean, you name it. Do you think it's typically a database vulnerability or... I mean, do you happen to know or, or like, or like when, or like, you know, all these credit cards get stolen or, or like, I think MySpace was hacked and they probably have my old email from middle school. But like, is that typically a, a database vulnerability, you think? This is me speculating here. I think in general, I think it could be a mix. So you look at some organizations, they don't update their stack frequently. Some are like cutting edge. They update all the time, but some of them are, they're using databases from, from 12 years ago without having updated. And you know, there's all kinds of bugs in those databases probably at this point. So that could be the group of people that, where it could be the database problem, but it's also the user's problem because they didn't update. Oh, I like that. Others, they could have maybe poorly configured their security. Maybe they created a user on their collection or whatnot that was admin level when it probably shouldn't have been admin level. So Again, incorrectly configured in that sense by the user. And then maybe from the application level, maybe their application is doing some some strangeness, which in theory could be mitigated by having strong user roles and stuff like that. How much of these legacy platforms have to transform the rest of their architecture for it to be compatible 
with, I guess, modern ways of managing databases or can it be pretty standalone? Can like traditional, I guess, projects, teams, web applications adopt new forms of databases without having to do a complete facelift on an architecture side? I think it depends. I think it depends on how they've written their code. I mean, if they're very heavily nested, like invested in uh, in a relational database, like they've got SQL queries everywhere within their application, those don't translate well. They don't even translate that well between other relational databases because there's different flavors of SQL. But if they've built their application right, if they've done a good job making it future-proof, everything's class-based, everything's marshaled and unmarshaled with whatever classes they have going on, they'll still have to do some kind of SDK-driven transition between whatever drivers they're using. But it won't be as bad as it could be or impossible. And usually, and I, you know, at this point, I like to dive into kind of like a takeaway, a breakaway. When it comes to from a takeaway perspective, like what is probably one of the biggest lessons that you've learned or best advice you can give when it comes to better management of just databases in general? Like if you have one like general piece of advice or thought. I don't know. I mean, when it comes, at least this is what I picked up from being a, I guess, a straight out of school developer versus a little more seasoned. I'm not, I definitely not an expert compared to some people. Spend more time learning about your business requirements and focusing on what your, at least some form of your data model should be. Even if you're using a NoSQL database that is fairly flexible in what you can do as far as a data model goes, you still want to have some kind of idea. Otherwise, you're going to have some chaos in your application as well. So that's, spend time on it. Spend time on on a plan. Oh, I like that. I like that. And then the breakaway, which I just made this up, but it happens sometimes, which is my favorite question. What is one of your most nostalgic memories of your first piece of tech? And what was it? And what did you do with it? Like, what kind of tech are we talking about? Are we talking like computer tech? Are we talking about gaming tech? Anything. The world is your oyster. Oh, man, I, I have no idea. I, I mean, I come from a gaming background, so gaming is part of the whole reason why I got into tech. So, I don't know, the N64 Nintendo oh, 64 console. Okay. Awesome. Okay. I did not, I did not. <laughs> a big ex- moment for me. Okay. Okay. So that, that was actually your gateway, right? Like it was that piece of technology there. And then you started going down the path of maybe yeah, computers. making stupid games and stuff and kind of led me into bigger, better things. That's awesome. Did you, when you were making games back in the day, like as a teeny bopper, was it, was it like, like, did you actually have to write in C sharp and stuff like that? Or like, Java games. I mean, what was that like? I don't even think C Sharp existed back then. Yeah. So there was this like, I don't know if you're familiar with basic, right? I mean, I know of it, but I don't, I myself don't do with that. Yeah. Yeah. So there was this software that was kind of like a flavor of basic. I don't, I don't even think it exists anymore. It was called dark basic and it was, it was meant for making games in basic, which looking back on it, it seems like a terrible idea, but it got me that start that I needed to kind of get interested in the fundamentals of development. And it wasn't just strictly the gaming that it taught me, but it got me there. Yo, I'm a huge fan of that. some inspiration. Yeah, no, I'm a huge fan of that. Like I would say, I think, I mean, don't quote me on this, even though this is recorded. I think Elon Musk first started programming, like he learned how to program because of games. And I think it was in basic as well. And then he sold his game and stuff like that. But yeah, it doesn't even need to be games. Just find something that you're interested in and take it from there. That's awesome. Well, Nick, thank you so much for sharing about MongoDB and and kind of the origin stories and, and how you guys tackle managing databases. 
would really, really appreciate and just love seeing more of your work. And especially in addition to that, your Pokemon builds would love to see that. So I'll be sure to drop your Twitch channel and all of your other ways to get connected in the show notes. Thank you so much, Nick, for joining. Thanks. All right. Welcome back. Super, super glad that we were able to not only talk about Pokemon, but also talk about MongoDB. And if you want to build with MongoDB and Al Systems, Andrew, another developer advocate at Al Systems, has been able to create a how-to video. So I'll drop the how-to video on building with MongoDB and Al Systems in the show notes. That's going to be a super, super, super good walkthrough. And I really appreciate all those who have joined season two. We are nearing the end of season two. So if you want to find me on Twitter, you can tweet at me or DM me and share your thoughts on the show. You can also share some recommendations for season three. We'll likely keep the same theme, but we're probably going to introduce some new formats to really spice things up as we continue to just learn about development and explore different teams through this podcast series. I also want to make sure that it's just fun and engaging for all y'all. So thank you so much for joining and wait for it. Season three is coming. Let's do this.